Welcome to Parse, the official podcast of the Elahe Omidyar Mir Jalali Institute of Iranian Studies at the University of Toronto. In Persian, Parse means strolling or wandering around as an observer of contemporary life and modernity. In a similar spirit, our podcast Parse aims to take our listeners on an intellectual stroll in the field of Iranian studies, where they can listen to different ideas from leading thinkers, academics, activists, and authors in the discipline. Our podcast will provide thought-provoking excerpts from lectures and seminars organized by the Iranian Studies Institute at U of D to make the extensive work we do with our partners more accessible to academics and non-academics alike across Canada and beyond. The 64th episode of Parse is an excerpt of a talk given by Jeffrey Haig titled Corpus-Based Approaches to the Typology of Iranian Languages. Jeffrey Haig is a professor of linguistics in the Institute of Oriental Studies at the University of Bamberg in Germany. His research is empirically oriented with a focus on corpus-based approaches to language typology and language contact in the Western Asian transition zone. He has also published widely on the diachronic syntax of Iranian languages and has been actively involved in language documentation in Western Iran. Here is uh, briefly what I'm going to be talking about today. So um, a little bit of introduction on word order, typology and Iranian, um, then about the role of geography. And then I'm going to get to the core of the presentation. So corpus-based approaches, typology and Wawa, which is word order in Western Asia, um, the typological database that we're uh, putting together. Um, and then I'm looking at some work that we've done on that uh, related to Iranian and other languages. And then um, I'll move on to uh, conclusions. So um, if we look at word order in Iranian, I guess the sort of thing that's intrigued people from the start um, is the inconsistencies in it. Now, there's been a huge amount of research on this. Um, initially, the focus has been on Persian, Farsi, tacitly also standard Persian. It's a bit fuzzy at this point what exactly is meant. But anyway, um, that's basically what, what's sort of assumed and a range of theoretical frameworks. So there's a, a rich generative tradition summarized in the recent um, handbook uh, in Samin Karimi's uh, article. Um, there's grammar-based typological work, which um, Professor W. Moradam has summarized um, in the same handbook. Uh, more recently, there have been corpus-based and experimental approaches, Pega Fariri and uh, Paulette Saint-Bélion um, in Paris and associates have worked on that. And today I'm going to look at corpus-based approaches. So um, <clears throat> no shortage of previous research. And I just think, I hope that what, what we're going to talk about today will complement this. Now, <clears throat> um, as I said before, there's something intriguing about um, Persian syntax. And in effect, it carries over to most of West Iranian, at least the Westernmost languages. Um, we have a rare combination. So we have um, a head final verb phrase. So objects precede the verb. A little bit more about this later. And that coexists with head initial structures pretty well everywhere else. So um, in a noun uh, 
We have prepositions rather than postpositions. We have noun phrases that have um, post-nominal modifiers of various types, relative clauses, adjectives, uh, possessors, prepositional phrases all follow the, the lexical head. We've got head initial complement, uh, complement phrases, so the complementizers at the left edge, and then the clause comes. We've got matrix clauses that precede subordinate clauses. We've got a mix of auxiliary main verb ordering. This is fascinating. I mean, we have budan and shodan, which follow the main verb, but you've got the more recent auxiliary dashtan, which precedes it. Um, you've got all modals preceding the main verbs. The whole thing looks head initial, except for this weird OV. Um, that's quite unusual. Very few languages worldwide exhibit a comparable split between head final OV, so head final verb phrase, um, versus head initial rest of the syntax. Um, and the few languages that do look like that are either related to Persian or spoken in the same area, so some varieties of Neo-Aramaic. Otherwise, this is worldwide pretty unusual. Um, and it raises a whole host of questions. Um, this kind of disharmonic word order that goes head final in the verb phrase and head initial everywhere else, does it, is it a problem for language acquirers? Um, where did it come from in the first place? Um, is it stable diachronically? Um, what impact has there been of contact languages? And so on and so on. So there's a whole bunch of questions. Um, not the least of which I'm concerned how it's developed um, over time and how it continues to develop. So these are the questions that actually interest me. Okay. Um, so this brings us to the role of geography. So let's suppose Persian is weird and West Iranian too because of where it's spoken. Um, this is an idea that was developed by Don Stilo um, in a few papers uh, in the early 2000s, but it actually goes back to his earlier work in the 1980s, 1990s, where he really uh, pioneered the sort of aerial typology of Iranian languages. Um, and what he says is that um, Western Iranian is typologically hybrid due to its location at the intersection of consistently had final Turkic and Indo-Aryan languages. So in the east and in the north, um, and consistently head initial Semitic, that is Afro-Asiatic languages in the west, so around the Mediterranean, for example, North Africa, um, the Arabian Peninsula, and so on. So very, very simplified at this point. Um, the picture is something like Semitic, which is, um, so let's take Arabic, which is consistently prepositional, adjectives follow the noun, possessors follow the noun, and objects follow the verb. And in Turkic, we have the mirror image, we have postpositions, we have adjectives preceding the noun, possessors preceding the noun, and verbs follow the object. Now, if we go into Iranian, <clears throat> we can pick different West Iranian languages and we're gonna get mixtures here. So if we go into Persian, we're gonna find prepositions, but if we go up into Caspian, Mazandarani, and so on, we're going to get postpositions. And if we go into Vafsi or we go into Kurdish, we're going to get postpositions, prepositions, and circumpositions. So it's a real mix there. It's quite similar with the, um, with the noun adjectives order, which can be mixed too. 
um, and the noun possessor ordered to. So depending on which West Iranian language you look at, you might get possessors in front of the noun, you might get them after the noun, you might go in different varieties of Baluchi where you get both. Where we do seem to get some stability is in the order of object and verb, where Iranian patterns pretty much identically with Turkic. And this is historically how it's been. Turkic was always OV as far as we know, and um, Iranian was too. So we can assume that that hasn't changed much, but we'll have a look at that more closely. So this is uh, Don Stilo's idea that um, from a very sort of bird's eye perspective, um, West Iranian sitting on the cusp of Iranian sandwiched as it were between Turkic and Indo-Aryan on the one side and um, Afro-Asiatic and the Western branches of Indo-European on the other. And over time that has led to a hybridization of the syntax. Um, so this is the, the, the broad idea behind that and we'll, we'll explore the implications um, in the rest of the talk. So the geography answer to the question of how did Persian get the way it is, um, or how, did, how do we get this mix in West Iranian generally is something like this. Wherever any structure in Iranian exhibits variability and head directionality. So where you're going to get both prepositions and postpositions, or you're going to get adjectives preceding the noun in some varieties and uh, following it in another. So wherever you get that variability, the head initial structures are more likely to occur in those varieties with greater proximity to and intensity of contact with Semitic languages. So this is how I would roughly um, formulate the tendency that I think Don Stilo was um, trying to pin down. Um, I don't know if Don would agree with me on this, but that's um, how I do it for the time being anyway. Okay. Um, how does this look from a sort of a micro perspective? Well, just I'm just going to give you one example of this. This is from um, Northern Kurdish. So it's, I mean, Northern Kurdish is a reasonably coherent bundle of varieties that with a high degree of um, mutual intelligibility, fair enough to call it a single language, I think perhaps even a dialect of Kurdish, but it's not hugely diverse internally. Um, if you look at the way people say something like, I said to him, so I'm just interested in how this to him gets coded in context, uh, in combination with the verb say or tell, which is uh, Gordon, which is obviously the cognate to Persian Goftan. Um, <clears throat> so there's three possibilities. You can have um, a preposition as in the first one. So Mungot um, Bui, where you have a preposition Bu, um, you can have a circumposition where you have something that looks like a preposition in front, je, and you have something that looks kind of like a postpositional particle after as well. So they wrap around the noun, jwira or jira. Or you can go fully postpositional where all you have is the postpositional particle. That's this one down here, wira. Um, and that's the variety of Elbistan. So you've got three possibilities. You've got preposition, you've got a circumposition, or you've got a postposition to mark exactly the same constituent with exactly the same verb. Now, if we look at geography, um, it becomes a little clearer why we have that. 
So <clears throat> those three varieties I talked about, this is a map taken from the Manchester database of Kurdish dialects um, project um, organized and, and put together by Yaron Matras um, and associates. So each of these little squares is one of the uh, data points in his database there. It's basically some variety of Kurdish. Um, and if we look for those three varieties that I just told you about, um, the post-positional one is here, Abistan. That's the data point here. You can see just by eyeballing the map that this is peripheral, right? This is on the edge of the Kurdish speech zone. And um, by virtue of that, it's also most exposed to um, historically and today as well, obviously, to uh, influence from Turkish and historically from Armenian. Um, and both of these languages are, of course, post-positional. So in a sense, it makes a mm, fair amount of sense that if any variety of Kurdish is going to flip to post-positional, it's going to be the ones that are the outliers from the rest of the, of the nesting effect of the rest of Kurdish and that are correspondingly have greater exposure to other languages which happen to be post-positional. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parse. Your support is invaluable to us. To like, share, or listen to our latest episodes, please head to our pages on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. To watch the complete seminars, please head to the Elahe Omidyar Mirjalali Institute for Iranian Studies website and YouTube page, which are linked in the description. See you again on our next episode.